Hello and welcome to the Tuesday, December 19, 2023 episode of the Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carmel the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests and discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest. Old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or estate of any performer or composer dead and gone to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to my musical universe. My guest today is jazz guitarist and educator Randy Napoleon. Known as a forward-thinking musician with a passion for the jazz tradition, Guitarist Randy Napoleon is an associate professor at Michigan State University. He is currently touring as a leader after 20 years of road apprenticeship with some of the most celebrated musicians and groups of our time. Napoleon cut his teeth touring with pianist Benny Green, the Clayton Hamilton Jazz Orchestra, Michael Buble, and a 13-year tenure with Freddie Cole. He has also performed with artists across the jazz spectrum, such as Bill Sharlap, Natalie Cole, Monty Alexander, Rodney Whitaker, and John Pizzarelli. Napoleon has performed or arranged on over 70 records. He arranged as well as performed on Freddie Cole's seven most recent records, including the Grammy-nominated releases Freddie Cole Sings Mr. B and My Mood Is You. He performed on the Clayton Hamilton Orchestra live at MCG. Napoleon is featured on Buble's Grammy-nominated CD-DVD Caught in the Act. Napoleon has played on The Tonight Show, Late Night with David Letterman, The View, The Today Show, and The Ellen DeGeneres Show, as well as TV shows in South America, Europe, and Asia. He has performed across the globe at notable venues, including Royal Albert Hall, The Sydney Opera House, The Hollywood Bowl, and Lincoln Center. Guitarist George Benson calls Napoleon sensational. Detroit Free Press critic Mark Stryker says Napoleon plays with a gentle, purring tone that makes you lean in close to hear its range of color and articulation. 
Washington Post critic Mike Joyce praises his exceptionally nimble finger, finger style technique. Comparing him to Wes Montgomery, music critic Michael G. Nasto says he displays an even balance of swing, soul, and single line or chord elements that mark an emerging voice dedicated to tradition and universally accessible jazz values. Napoleon has recorded as a band leader with his most recent album, Puppets, The Music of Greg Hill, released in 2022. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Randy Napoleon. Hello, Randy. Hi, Craig. How's it going? You know, it's going pretty well, and it's uh, great to talk to you and uh, have the opportunity to have you on my show. I've been looking forward to uh, learning more about you and uh, introducing you to my listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Sure thing. Um, so I, I, I always like to ask people's origin questions. Uh, so who turned the light on for you? What turned you on to music? Well, music was always around and I was always aware of it and I always liked it, but the, um, the passion, the part where it took over my life kind of came out of the blue for me. I had, um, started playing violin in fifth grade through our instrumental music program in my elementary school, which I realized now I was very lucky to have access to because so many of these kinds of things are cut. So that was my, you know, introduction to playing an instrument and I enjoyed it, but I wasn't, um, you know, dead serious about it, but it introduced me to the idea of a stringed instrument. And, uh, maybe three years after that, I was hanging out with a friend and he had a guitar sitting around and I just said, you know, could I, could I pick that up? Do you mind if I try that? And I'll tell you, it was like being hit by a bolt of lightning for whatever mm. reason. It was the right time and something about physically holding the guitar. The very first note I played, I fell in love with it. And um, I I had a, a strong feeling that it was what I was supposed to do. And I borrowed, a. he had two guitars, actually. I borrowed one of them and I stayed up all night. I just uh, was immediately obsessed, you know, and I was trying to figure out a melody going up and down one string, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but I just was mesmerized by the physical instrument. Um, and so then, you know, I didn't particularly have a musical direction. Um, I was, I was really lucky that um, there was a local guitar store owner in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where I grew up named Steve Osborne. And he kind of gave me a pity job. You know, I asked him if he had anything that I could do and he'd just, you know, have me sweep the floors or something. But basically I just hung out at the guitar store all day and I would watch, you know, the, the classical guitarists come in with their long nails, you know, and then the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the metal guys, you know, come in shredding with their long hair. And uh, all of it was interesting to me and intriguing. Um, I really liked all of it, and I still do, actually. Um, but then I had a saxophonist friend of mine who had started getting interested in jazz, 
and he had a recording of Charlie Parker, you know, mm. and he, he put it on, he said, what do you think about this? And that was another one of those moments for me where um, I felt the course of my life permanently changing. Um, <clears throat> I was just mesmerized. And then, you know, one thing led to the next and I sought out more and more of that music. And mm -hmm. we had a jazz club in town that was seven nights a week. And I started hanging out there when I was 15 years old, you know, every night they were nice enough to let me, you know, they kind of adopted mm -hmm. me like a mascot mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. I would just soak it up and, and learned in that way. And um, that was it. Yeah, I was often, often running. Wow. That's a great opportunity. And, and of course, you know, uh, growing up in Ann Arbor, a, a wonderful college town, there probably were, you know, a number of, uh, well, I imagine had a very eclectic music scene, much the same way Madison does with the University of Wisconsin there. They have Absolutely. a much more uh, eclectic uh, music scene than say, well, Milwaukee does pretty well too, but, but uh, you know, it's fortunate to be able to have exposure to those different kinds of things. And in a sense, even though the guy was giving you a quote unquote pity job, he was, you know, it's really important, I think, uh, you know, the fact that he probably either formally or informally was a, was an early mentor and encouraged you. Oh, yes. He was and, my, my teacher as well. That was, yeah. I was, I was paying off lessons. I should mention that. Yeah. But I, I think it's funny because he really didn't have a whole lot for me to do. So he just uh, yeah. okay. was nice enough to take me in, you know, like so many other people after him. Uh, music really takes a whole you know, they say it takes a, a village to raise a child. And that's so mm -hmm. true with, with music. You needed a whole community to, um, you know, no, I build could, you up I, and yeah, yeah. information you need. I, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think about uh, about uh, my own uh, beginnings. And of course, uh, I think the very first trumpet lesson I ever had was from my dad. And he wasn't a, a professional player or even an educator or anything. He had just played trumpet when he was in high school and he showed me a few rudimentary things and and uh like you i mean it's just something i took to and 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 loved but one thing randy i i would like to extend a personal invitation to you if you haven't ever been to waukesha yeah. wisconsin which is where i live you 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 would love yeah. to, you would probably love it here because uh waukesha is the birthplace of les paul and um no kidding oh yeah yeah he was born here his his uh his real name was lester polfus and uh the les paul was was born here and uh there's still a bar that's down across from uh where the old train depot used to be that his family used to run and there's uh they still have a picture of les paul up in the in the bar there but more importantly, Waukesha calls itself Guitar Town, and uh, it's been a few years ago now. But the uh, no, yeah, yeah, and now they have sculptures of different guitars all around town, and uh, depending on uh, the, that is so cool. They that had like yeah, 
Yeah. So you need to put Waukesha, Wisconsin on your on your uh, bucket list of places to visit. And you'll come and be surrounded because like on every oh, not every corner, but many corners. And there'll be a, 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 a sculpture of a guitar uh, that was uh, uh, done by a particular artist. And and uh, like a, one a friend of mine uh, who is an artist, she did one of the guitars and she she called it Georgia on my mind. And um, what she did was the guitar was decorated with all kinds of depictions of work by Georgia O'Keeffe. So oh, wow. that was that was kind of the entire double entendre there. But uh, yeah, we have that uh, we have that legacy uh, here. And uh, he was uh, yeah, Les Paul was known as the Wizard of Waukesha. And because oh, uh, uh, it's where he was born and where his family yeah. uh, was. Well, they were in the tavern business, along with a lot of other things. And of course, uh, so as a guitarist, I think you'd, you'd come here and you'd, you'd really kind of go, wow, this is cool. Anyway, uh, I've got to find a place that's trumpet town, I guess. I don't know. I, <laughs> I haven't discovered where that is yet, but, but that's anyways, right. uh, yeah. So, and I, and I've only one occasion, only once in my life, did I ever actually see Les Paul and it was just a glimpse of him. It was, uh, I was in Madison and he was being honored at the uh, state uh, music convention. And I just happened to see he and the governor of Wisconsin and his the governor's staff getting into an elevator. And that was the only time I ever saw Les Paul. And I could never heard him play, unfortunately, other than in uh, recordings or when they did something about him on TV. I see. So, but uh, anyway... Well, so much for my tourism bit, <laughs> but let's get to yeah, uh, talking about jazz as a, as a music, because I'm always interested to hear uh, how jazz musicians and jazz educators look at this art form. And we know that jazz comes in a lot of different flavors. Uh, you know, I uh, when I taught jazz history and appreciation, I used to tell my students, you know, that enjoying music is just like going to the gelato store there's lots and lots of different flavors some you might be unfamiliar with but you ought to try you know because you never know you might find you really love that flavor and you never just want to stick with the familiar like having always having chocolate or vanilla and so jazz comes in a lot of different flavors we've got old styles new styles we've got bebop hard bop soul jazz uh straight ahead fusion uh acid jazz uh you know you name it all these different flavors That's right yeah. and they all coexist we we still play the old styles we still play you know the avant-garde styles and these all coexist so my question to you is with all these different flavors what is yes. the essence of jazz across all of its various flavors and then a second part how is jazz uh, well, different I think from... this is a very profound and philosophical question yeah um for me uh-oh you have totally frozen now well i can still hear you and you have frozen but keep going because i'm still getting the audio oh there we okay, go. Okay, you're back. Yeah, yeah, right. you are. You are too. 
Oh, and now anyway. it's saying my internet connection is unstable. Maybe. Oh, that, my goodness. We've got instability on both yes, ends. Well, we'll right. survive. Well, that's very 2023. Come on. This is the days of instability. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, but anyway, what is the essence of okay, jazz across so you're, all of its you're, flavors? I'll, I'll, yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't think of the different parts of jazz as being that different or disconnected. And the more I study the music, the more I find similarities, more so than differences. So, um, you know, I played in Freddie Cole's band for 13 years. He was mm -hmm. one of my greatest teachers. And, you know, he really lived through the evolution of the of the music. And, you know, I mean, he played with Lester Young and John Coltrane and all these people were part of his community. And of course, his big brother changed music, Nat King Cole. And um, but, uh, you know, Freddie used to talk about something and he never really explained it, but he'd say it's not just how good you play, he said it's about the presentation of the music. And I think that is um, kind of the essence of what you're talking about or the differences in terms of presentation. So in other words, the rhythmic language, the harmonic language, the, the deep connection to blues inflection, the nuanced interpretation to stretching and pulling away from the beat and back to it that, you know, we hear from Louis Armstrong on. These are, you know, universal kind of qualities to all the periods of the music. Mm -hmm. The other stuff is kind of uh, I don't know, the frame that we put around it. So in other words, I like to play in a lot of different contexts. I like to write original music. I like to, you know, I'm, I, I'm open to all of it. I like to arrange. I like to um, have things that are, you know, perhaps even kind of atonal or outside the box. Um, but the language is the language and the, the sound is the sound. So I might you know, write a composition that has dense orchestration and interludes and is built around a straight eighth groove or an odd meter or something like this. But in terms of the core of my improvisation and the sound that I'm projecting on the guitar, it's the same. Mm -hmm. So it really comes down to presentation, whether I'm playing a standard or whether I'm, you know, playing something kind of wild. And I think sometimes the, um, the critics, uh, focus on the presentation you know because it's easier for them to write about it like oh this is a fusion of such and such such and such and such mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we're all basically you know trying to catch up to charlie parker and <laughs> bud powell and train and you know the people who really had ownership of the rhythmic and harmonic language and and then also frame it in ways that are fresh and interesting you know i mean i don't believe that we're supposed to um recreate classic records you know that seems nutty we already have them you know mm -hmm. but but um i don't know if that makes sense but to me the idea of there being a dichotomy between studying and absorbing the tradition and innovating is um false jimmy heath used to say um the future is in the past and i really mm -hmm. believe that that, you know, we're looking for something fresh and we're drawing upon, um, you know, what came before us. And we're and we're using the the greats as as models to um, keep on expanding our toolkit and mm -hmm. and 
grow our skills. And, you know, I think this includes Western classical music and it includes, mm -hmm. you know, popular American styles like, you know, rock and roll or hip hop or whatever you want to bring in. Jazz is, has always been a mm -hmm. sponge-like art form. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, the core of it is swing feeling, the blues and and, and bebop in my worldview. That's, um, that's the essence of what makes this music special and it has unlimited potential for creative expansion um mm -hmm. and i think people sometimes mistakenly think that if you're you know studying duke ellington or monk or something now you're traditionalist and you're closed off to innovation but to me those are the windows to innovation this uh it's yeah, still very I, new I, music i i think you're i think you're spot on i think there's uh there's a lot of uh uh i think that a lot of the pigeonholing that goes on in music whether it's categorizing of musical styles or is largely uh representative of marketing uh we need to know what categories are selling to which people and so on and so forth and i think that's, that's we right. look at we look at categories of of music they don't really define the styles but the styles tend to then fit into those categories because, uh, you know, you, if you're white and rural, you know, it's country music. If you're black right. and rural, right. it's the blues. Right. If right. you're urban and black, it's R&B or soul uh, or jazz. Uh, or if you're, you know, white and urban, you're it's pop. I mean, you know, all these different kind of categories, which, of course, have been uh, blurred uh, over over the years because people's listening tastes have become, I think, more eclectic in many ways. I used to tell my students uh, that in jazz, we have two traditions. One is we keep our feet grounded in the past in that we draw upon material that was written many, many, many years ago. In other words, we still play standards, but we're always reaching upward because in the context of the performance, we are striving to do something new and fresh. Um, and it, it might be in the, you know, even if we're playing a ballad, it might even be the way we phrase. We might choose. That's to put, exactly right. That's exactly you know, right. And that's yeah. a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to write about. It's a hard yeah. thing to um, notate, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, that's what it's about. You know, <laughs> the I stuff, mean, the magic like, part that's hard to talk about. That's really what that's, that is the essence of the music. It's like, you know, a song I love to do is St. Yeah. James Infirmary. Yeah. Because it's well, it's been around for, it's actually been around since 1795, if you want to believe that. Wow. I didn't oh, know yeah, that. Yeah. It started out as an, at least according to the guy's book, who wrote an entire book on St. James Infirmary. You know, it started out as an English folk song. And then, of course, it came to the, came to the Americas with immigration and so forth. And then, uh, you know, it 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 ended up, you know, supposedly having origins in New Orleans, and then there was an authorship assigned to it. But regardless of that, I have I love the song and I love to perform it, and uh, I uh, I'm always kind of looking for new ways to you know deliver the melodic content as well as the lyrical content, just uh, for the sake of well. Let's face it, as improvising musicians, one of the things I think that we do to our audiences is we like to rattle their chain a little bit. 
I, you know, I always think of like Monk. When I listen to Monk, I just can't help but think what's going on in his head is, man, I'm going to try this weird thing and just see if it doesn't push some buttons, you know. Wow. And and I think we all kind of do that a little bit. Or I maybe I'm alone there. I just I I I really like to see if I can get my audience to just do it double take. And what did he just do? I think there's something to that. Yeah. I, you know, another one of my teachers, uh, John Clayton, he says that, um, you know, a good arrangement should have an element of surprise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true. We want, you know, we want our ears to be able to follow things. We want them to make sense. We want there to be a lyrical element, you know, in other words, if it's, um, too abstract that you may not be able to follow it and there's nothing you can take home. But if it is too predictable, um, there's nothing exciting about it. There's nothing right. special. So, so I think, you know, the balance of um, those two things is, is really critical to music that I like to listen to anyway. Well, and, and, you know, and I like that you mentioned Ellington, you know, Ellington is not old style swing. That's right. Uh, because even though, you know, his music was in, of that era, uh, he was doing some of the most innovative combinations of instruments and That's sounds right. of of uh, any composer of his you know day and age. I suppose if he'd had access to or had chosen to have access to a synthesizer, he probably would have used it, you know. But when you were on the road 366 days out of the year or whatever, right, right. you know, and right. synthesizers of those days were not exactly portable. But I think he would have. I think he was ser always searching for unique and different sounds. And the, the, the fact that he could write to the specific personalities of the individuals in his band was very forward thinking. And and. uh and then when you talk about Coltrane and, and Charlie Parker and man, I think, I think we're, we're still decades away from catching up and understanding fully what they were, was going on in their subconscious minds. And I often, you know, Coltrane, we got to see some development, you know, over, over the course from the, the 1950s until his death in, in the late sixties. Yeah, uh, And I often wonder if Parker, Charlie Parker, had lived another 20, 30 years. Oh my gosh, what would have happened? Uh, you know, yeah. would would he have gone? Uh, it is. It is. A, I think he would have been writing. I think he would have been writing, you know, bebop symphonies. And uh, it is one of the great 20th century tragedies that we lost him so yep. early. Yep. Uh, I, I think he of our greatest minds. That's our Einstein. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I think your you know his work, uh, you know, one of the more popular albums was Charlie Parker with strings, and I think that the idea that he was you know using that environment, you know, he very well could have been uh, not not taking anything away from Gunter Schuller, but he could have been a leader in the third stream, in the fifties, later fifties. And, uh, and I often wonder too, uh, you know, I think, because uh, I, my, in my humble opinion, Ornette Coleman, when I listen to his music from the late 50s, I really believe he was, you know, they yeah. called it free jazz, but I think he was really still extending the idea of bebop and, and, and continuing that tradition and maybe taking it, uh, you know, a little bit further, but, you know, that's, those kinds of things are always open for, for one discussion. thing stops and another one ends. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it sometimes I think it's a uh, academic thing that doesn't matter that much, you know. I mean, I and I I listen to all music with years. I really saw seventeenth century music. Sometimes I find them in music from cultures outside of ours, but a lot of times I find it right in this, um, you know, the core canon of jazz, and uh, it's Mm -hmm. interesting and discouraging to me that a lot of times people kind of um discourage that like say like oh yeah that's already been done you know but when you yeah. think about it odd meters have been around for hundreds of years and mm-hmm. you know eastern european cultures and and uh you know there's plenty of chromaticism and western european music and all the all these things but when you think about swing it's very modern it's a very modern mm-hmm. creation and we're um I don't want to um, cut this off at the root. It's something that uh, we have, you know, a thousand years more exploration to do with this to um, process all the the musical implications and possibilities. So, yeah, I, you know, and, and what I think is is wonderful, at least from what I'm observing, is just how much more eclectic today's performing musicians are becoming. I mean, we're finding, you know, uh, jazz elements in the work of uh, uh, composers writing for symphony orchestras, and we're finding classical elements in in jazz music, uh, uh, or maybe we should just throw out the word jazz as just use what Miles Davis used to put on his Columbia albums, new directions in music, you know. And, right, and, right. and quit quit labeling it. But what I'm getting at is that yeah. I think today, what I hear and when mm-hmm. I listen to today's jazz musicians and big bands is a lot of influence of, of classical music, uh, world music, uh, a lot of, I mean, the world is our oyster yeah. in terms yeah. of sounds. So, well, anyway, that's, that's right. uh, and I think that's, it's so healthy. It's healthy, like culturally too. We want to, um, I mean, you know, I believe in one world, one people, and, uh, you know, one music. It's really, we're all the same, and the more we can communicate with each other and speak each other's language, you know, the um, more peaceful and connected we'll be. And, I, you know, that's yeah. uh, probably the, the biggest goal of music is to bring people together. So I, agree. I think all that is for the positive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk back more or get back to more of your uh, your career. You uh, you've had some marvelous uh, experiences. Uh, you mentioned Freddie Cole. I probably have you on some of the some of the Freddie Cole CDs that I have because I've enjoyed him for a number of years. And uh, uh, but you've had some marvelous experiences, and you've played with many uh, great musicians. What is one lesson that you've learned? from working with other professionals that you still carry with you today? Oh, gosh. I mean, there, there are so many of them. And uh, I've had so many great mentorship experiences. Um, I mean, I'll say that the first person I toured with was Benny Green. And he is a really intense, extremely devoted practicer of jazz and uh extremely detail oriented and it really is from you know the moment you open your eyes in the morning till 
the moment you go to bed at night, um, he's thinking about music and encouraging you to do the same. So um, I think being around him just modeled how intense this this really is and how serious it is, you know, and and I think his experiences with Art Blakey and Ray Brown and Freddie mm -hmm. Hubbard and that that kind of shaped his perspective on this. And it was really um, that hardcore New York do or die um, ultra, ultra seriousness and respect for the art form mm -hmm. and working with uh, Jeff Hamilton and John Clayton, very similar. Like I oftentimes whatever I'm doing, if I'm, if I'm teaching or doing an interview or performing or writing, I think about, you know, what Jeff and John would do because it's always going to be professional. It's always going to be right. And, and every part of it is, is, is thought about. I mean, I remember little moments. I remember one time we were getting ready to go on stage and we had, you know, backstage passes like lanyards around, mm -hmm. around our neck. And I had mine on my neck, you know, and Jeff just, he, he just, you know, took it off and he put it in my pocket. He said, you know, put that away, Nap. Just little stuff. But every little detail of performance and music was was serious and important you know and uh um i love that you know i love that and it's really an awfully high standard so i'm i'm uh you know i'm 46 years old and i'm still always checking myself and saying like okay could that be um could you do that better and usually the answer yeah. is yes you know and then i say okay. you know and i'm thinking about my my teachers as a model um, Rodney Whitaker, who is my, um, my department chair here at Michigan State University, where I teach, you know, he's been, um, like a big brother to me since I was a, a teenager and, uh, you know, has influenced how I play, uh, the, the, like a nuanced flexibility to the beat and a philosophy about teaching and I'm actually, I'm, I'm now the associate director of jazz studies. So he's been kind of teaching me the ins and outs of administrating. So it's really <laughs> been, uh, you know, I'm still, I'm still learning from Rodney and um, he's just an amazing leader. I really like, he knows when to uh, give people free reign and, and when to instruct them. And he seems to get the most out of people and pick the right people to be on his team. And um and it's it's a lot actually you know we do a lot here at school and it's a lot of a lot of work and a lot of different things to juggle at all times and he's really quite amazing at it so i don't know that's a few things uh paul keller another one of my lifetime teachers who lives here in michigan um you know he's always encouraging me to go deeper into arrangements and you know, little mm -hmm. stuff, harmonic details of standards. He's one of one of these guys who knows 10,000 tunes. And um, that's really important to me, you uh -huh. know, and, and Freddie, oh, Freddie's demeanor, it just the way he handled life on the road, everything. Um, I tend to be kind of an amped up intense person. And Freddie was just deeply calm nothing ruffled his feathers. He would never get upset. You know, if there was someone, uh, you know, 
you you know you meet all sorts of personalities when you're traveling and some sure. of them are not great you know and i'd come to freddie and say oh man what you know so and so did that's not right that's not right and he just says yeah i don't i don't pay him no mind that's what he'd mm-hmm. say you know, mm-hmm. he just was not bothered he was calm he was cool you know i would be we'd get off the bandstand i'd say oh freddie you know i'm frustrated i feel like i didn't play my best uh you know and he says you know he said look out there the people are happy he says we we did our job you know, mm-hmm. he said, don't worry about it, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and likewise, I'd say, oh, Freddie, you know, I want to write 12 arrangements today. And, you know, I want to learn 14 solos. And, you know, I want to uh, do 300 pushups and uh, <laughs> run a marathon, you know, and play my scale standing <laughs> on my head and say, you know, Randy, relax. He said, you can't do everything all at once. So mm-hmm. Freddie, and and I think that, you know, his his attitude about life comes through in his his singing and playing. He was um incredibly relaxed and the had the deepest feel of anyone I've ever played mm-hmm, with really mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, that really helped me it really changed uh you know from a specific like technical performance it it um relaxed my feel and opened up my, my phrasing a lot but I link it in my mind to Freddie's spirit so he really mm-hmm. helped he was like a antidote for my my natural inclinations and i um i channel them a lot when i'm teaching with my students and as they're you know wigging out about this or that i say you know it's calm it's okay you know and mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's freddie yeah i hear you i hear you mm-hmm. well and and it's easy to wig out about a lot of things sometimes sometimes uh you know they used to always say don't sweat the small stuff and it's all yeah. small stuff yeah. yeah yeah that's yeah. right i uh i uh was chuckling a little bit when you were talking about be, being an associate director of the department and, and, and reminiscing a little bit about my own experience as a department chair. I was, uh, I was chair of the music department for the UW colleges for 13 years. And we had, oh, you know, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And we have, uh, we're the two year system in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, we had 13 campuses spread all over the state. And, uh, you know, I when you talk about, you know, trying to pick the right people and know when know when to uh, tell people what to do and then know when to just keep your mouth shut and and uh, all those kind of things are. Yeah, well, that, that reminded me a lot of what I uh, what I used to do, too. So, yeah. And uh, it's uh, you don't have to do everything yourself. That's the other thing that I, that's my one piece of advice I'd give you as a budding administrator. Remember, you don't have to do everything yourself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That's uh, well, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it's always interesting. Well, let's get uh, to uh, your recording. The The most recent recording of yours that I could find on, uh, on Spotify is uh, entitled Puppets, the music that's, of that's Grand Hill. One. And that's your newest yes. one. Well, good. Uh, I am not familiar with the name Greg Hill. So could you tell us about Greg Hill and about the people who perform with you on the album? And there's a sound that you get on the album that I really like. And it's when you blend the guitar with the vocals, the wordless vocals. 
And I've Thank already contacted. So much for saying and, that. And I I've love already, it too. And yeah. I've already contacted Aubrey and, and I'm setting up an interview with her oh, because cool. I just love that sound. But would you talk about uh, this Greg Hill and about his music and about the, the, the album that you created? Well, this is getting back to this idea of, of presentation. Um, I'm basically going to play how I play and I'm always trying to improve that. But I like um, to frame my playing in different in different kind of um, collaborative ways. So Greg is a one of a kind kind of guy. This guy has lived twelve lives. Like he was a professional truck driver, and then he uh, started a tech company with uh, his son, and uh, he became the CFO of a really successful tech company. And he has started composing music. Um, and it's it's very interesting, dense music, but he hands it over to me and gives me absolute freedom. So some of it stays fairly similar to what he gave me. And some of it, I might just take one theme and I write a completely different composition grows out of it. Um, so sometimes it's hard to know where where Greg starts and where I I I start or end on on these these projects. It feels like uh, I mean you know I don't believe in them, but Ouija boards you know like in the movies mm -hmm. when they're moving the Ouija board and they say, well none of us moved the planchet you know like, but um, that's kind of how these compositions feel. It's like well I don't know that's not something I would have written on my own, but it's not what Greg's thing was either. So. Um, that's how it starts. And actually, we have another one in the can that I'm really, really excited about. But um, yeah, the core of this band is Rodney Whitaker and Rick Rowe, who are um, a pianist from out here who is kind of Michigan's secret weapon. He's, um, oh, God, he plays so great and um, has mostly stayed here but he's a legend, you know, people, people know about him. And he's another one of the people I really looked up to growing up and uh, emulated and followed around. And we still play together a lot. And then uh, Quincy Davis, the drummer is also from Michigan. He's currently the um, head of the um, jazz drum program at uh, North Texas. And, uh, you know, mm -hmm. has toured with everybody and He's one of my best friends. We were roommates when we first moved to New York and, uh, you know, he grew up here as well. So he also looks up to Rick and Rodney, but I would say the mm -hmm. four of us are really of a kind, you know, we're, we're bebop and modern and blues and coming from, from that, you know, really the, the extension of the Detroit bebop tradition. Um, and Aubrey Johnson is kind of my musical wild card. Um, I met her a few years ago and she's soulful in a way, almost like, I don't know, like Joni Mitchell or I get elements of modern pop, but, you know, really understands jazz harmony and mm -hmm. her musical skill set is, is, is huge. But when I heard her, I, I thought, boy, this would be an interesting color to throw into the mix. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I believe in that, uh, contrasting voices contrast makes um music and life interesting so so aubrey was kind of the wild card and and she 
fit in beautifully. Uh, so great. And, and so actually this new record is that same core of the band. Um, and on that last one, then I added um, just some, some color and texture on top of that. Um, Seth Abersall uh, played some bass clarinet and flute for me on the record. Mm -hmm. And I also did some, a little bit of studio magic. I had Aubrey um, overdub some vocal layering tracks. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, this is this is this idea of presenting things in a different way. I'm going to play how I play. Um, I wish I could play in any possible way you could imagine, but that's that's not real. I am who I am. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. Um, but that's kind of a neat sound putting, you know, these uh, modern beboppers with, you know, a, a multi-layered vocal tracks and, um, you know, some original compositions. And um, so, yeah, I tried to do some things that I associate with the swing era, uh, things like shout choruses and backgrounds and, uh, but frame them in a, a highly modern context. And mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's really, really fun. And Greg is just so wide open whatever mm -hmm. whatever i think of or suggest he's like yeah yeah keep on going take it go there you know and uh mm -hmm. uh his um flexibility and trust is is pretty deep so um yeah i've just loved working with him and uh okay. with these cats oh and on one track on that record i had will crandall drummer and brandon rose bass player who are um two of our recent graduates from our program. And I always okay. like to, um, I always like to include my, uh, these, you know, young budding stars as oh, much yeah. as possible, just, just showcase them a little bit. So, um, there's some of that on the new record as well. Some, yeah. some, uh, couple young, young up and comers who you'll be hearing about. Yeah. Well, I had to tell you, Randy, you know, I interviewed Mike D's. Oh, it's probably been well Same. over a year and a half ago. Yeah, same philosophy. And uh, and uh, it was because of him I discovered there's a wellspring of uh, wonderful young musicians that have come out of Michigan State. Thank I you mean, so much. There are pride I've and been, joy. I, I've been parked over here on the other side of Lake Michigan. Yeah. You know, and and all this has been going on in Lansing, and I'm like, wow, where did this come from? I feel I, the same way. It is you know, so weird having this this little town here be um, a wellspring of jazz. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. It, I mean, you know, and I guess, and it's my own myopia because uh, you know, uh, I've always you know I've always known University of Michigan had a great music department. Michigan State had a great music department, but I never thought of them as either you know, real major jazz schools, you know, and, uh, uh, and now I find well, out. Well, it wasn't yes, always like is. this. Well, okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I remember yeah. like when I applied to go to grad school, I applied, I applied to, uh, I remember I applied to Indiana and I applied to USC yeah. and I applied to North Texas and I right. ended up going to North Texas <laughs> quite simply because it was the least expensive place to yeah. go. Right, and of course, right. huge jazz school. And um, but this has been a wonderful discovery for me because I think I have probably interviewed at least half a dozen, maybe more uh, alums of Michigan State. 
yeah. as as a result of uh, the very thing. No kidding. Talking. Oh yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I I mean, I think I went through. Uh, I, uh, well, right now, see, I can't name names because I'm drawing a blank, but I know I had uh, uh, as a result of the very thing that you talked about because Mike D's would use some of these when he'd record or he would record on their albums. And then I would kind of use that as a jumping off spot. Oh, well, you played with this so-and-so and then, oh, and you're Michigan State also. I mean, it, just like the other day, I, I interviewed uh, uh, Margarita Fava, who said, oh, yeah, uh -oh. I see her. She said, she said, yeah, I, I listened to your, some of your podcasts. I see you've interviewed a lot of my old friends from Michigan State. I said, yes, I yeah, have. Right. Right. So it's uh it's been Margarita uh, Margarita played in my band when she was a a senior. I took her all over that yeah, year. Yeah. Yeah, she was yeah. a special project of mine. So I I really congratulate you guys on on what was only a great secret only to me. I should have had my ears open or my eyes oh, open. Thank you for supporting us. Uh because uh because there's just a lot of marvelous musicians that have come out of that school and I'm I'm really impressed. Um, I, I want to, I want to drill down just a bit because you did mention it. I was going to ask you this later in the, in the interview, but you did mention that you've got a new project in the can. Now, what can you tell us about this new recording that you've got? You said it's going to be basically with the same personnel, but what, uh, what can you tell us about the recording and, and maybe what new things we might hear? I think of it as an expansion of the last one. Okay. Um, you know, I, I I learned a lot about the the possibilities of this unusual instrumentation on the last one, and I I took it further with this one. Mm -hmm. And I'll also say, on a personal note, I um I've been practicing, and I I um am a lot happier with how I'm playing. I think uh this this most recent one is one that I'm particularly proud of. Um. So yeah, I think it's it's in a similar vein, but it's it's um okay. It's more it's more developed. Um okay. and I, I added three horns on about half of it, so it's got a, a really big big oh, okay. sound to it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So but I'll just let you check it out. You know, in a yeah. similar way, we cover a lot of different kind of bags. There's some, you know, down and dirty blues and some I wrote an invention as an interlude on one of them. And uh, one of them sounds like a garage rock band. I don't know. It really, it really covers a lot of territory. Okay. Uh, but I think it's, it's really cool. I think it, it might be my favorite record of mine that I've done actually. Wonderful. What do, is there a, uh, is there a release date that you could tell us? Likely February. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So just around the corner. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we're just about done. I mean, actually, it's good. we're going to master it this week, and wonderful. Um, it's just wonderful. about there, so I'm excited. This sound uh, that's great. Something to look forward to in the new year. Well, let's talk about your writing for a moment. Um, because what I'm always curious about is the composer's process. Now, I know some people would say, "Well, there is no process." And as you know, we just, I know like myself, when my muse spews, I write something, but sure. others yeah. are, are, but when you write an original piece, yeah, um, what tends to come first to mind? What's your initial inspiration? Is it a melodic idea? 
or is it a rhythmic idea or is it a set of chord changes or I've even known composers who've told me that they have first come up with uh, either poetic or lyrical content that they won't use, but they use it as inspiration. Yeah. yeah. Or you yeah. Know, to create a mood. Yeah. I mean, I would say for me, all those things have, have happened. And um, I like to try and write in different ways. So you know, oftentimes if there's nothing particular that I'm preparing for, I, I might just be walking down the street and a, a melody or a rhythmic cell pops into my mind and I'll pull out my cell phone and I'll sing it. And then when I get a second, I get to the guitar and usually really all it takes is one little idea. And then the, um, the truth of the composition starts revealing itself as you go you start pulling at the threads and one thing leads to the next um so for me the most difficult part is starting but yeah i have also started from a set of chord changes you know like we talk about in jazz the idea of contrafacts where you know uh jazz musicians for years have built tunes that are uh you know melodies that are built on other chord changes um mm -hmm. but i i would say most of the time it's it's melody first for me okay um, because I think, you know, like orchestration, counterpoint, you know, rhythmic hits, all this stuff really should be in, in support of the melody. Um, and, and then, you know, oftentimes I will just try and write forward or backward from the main thing that I have envisioned. So, you know, create some sort of a interesting introduction to set up the, you know, the main theme or... Um, an interlude or, you know, cut off a part of the form at one point and jump to something else, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some sort of a coda ending. Um, sometimes I'll write with, you know, explicit. Uh, my, my son has been learning classical piano and uh, I did a record with one of my former students, Jocelyn Gould, this last, um, this last year. And I wrote, mm -hmm three tunes for the record and two of them were explicitly classical. I wrote one that um, I based on uh, Bach's uh, Prelude in C minor from book one of Well-Tempered Clavier. Mm -hmm. um, I like the way uh, he'll have kind of opposing and then similar motion with the, the two voices. And um, so I used that, but in kind of like a syncopated way. So it still sounds like jazz. And then I, I wrote a, uh, a rondo form uh and she had some unusual instrumentation on her record too there was you know two guitars and a clarinet on the front mm -hmm, line which mm -hmm. was really cool so i had different you know pairings for the different uh sections of the rondo it's little stuff but things that can make for an interesting um presentation mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm. music so so yeah i don't know I'll, I'll um and 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 just like with my playing i try to not always do everything in the same way so if i write really dense on one piece or one section maybe i want to um write with a lot of space on the next one you yeah. know or yeah. um uh you know finding finding all the extremes and uh, it really is fun it's like a great game so that's a long a long answer but yeah it could start with a baseline there could be anything that pops into your mind that's good i think as you have more experience you learn how to expand your ideas mm -hmm. better but um 
that spark can come from anywhere. And with the Greg Hill stuff, it's come from looking at his and saying, okay, how am I going to play on this? What would this do for me? And um, sometimes it takes me into places that are unpredictable to, for both of us. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I think that's the wonderful aspect of uh, music as an art form is, uh, is that, uh, you know, we have finite uh, elements that we can work with but we can use them in infinite ways and we can That's find right. all kinds of different ways. And it's, it's just, uh, it's fun uh, to try to figure out different things that you can do. And, and uh, uh, one of my personal joys is I am uh, yeah. working at being a reductionist. I will take an arrangement mm. or a piece yes. by someone and I try to reduce it down to three instruments i love it you know yeah, just I love uh, it. just trumpet trombone and tuba it's what i call my mini new orleans brass band i love it i love and, it and what i so try many to do, ways to do this thing exactly as is how little can you get by with and still make it make it into uh, a viable piece of music and it's a it's kind of a fun challenge and we play out oh once a month or so with that particular group and uh, but we we like to experiment. I always tell my guys, I say we might be playing a a, a tune that, that's going to be familiar, but we're going to we're going to take it somewhere it's never been. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so those yeah. are that's the fun thing about uh, about playing music. Well, I'm also curious, Randy, to ask you about playing standards, because you do play standards and you play them very well and. And uh, I'm curious to know what draws you to a particular standard to want to perform or record that tune. Well, I imagine you probably, it's probably the same for you, but um, you know, I love melodies and uh, you know, when I'm learning uh, solos from jazz masters, these are intricate and you know, fast moving melodies. And when I learn, you know, songs by George Gershwin or Cole Porter, these are uh, slower, sometimes very intricate, sometimes mm -hmm. very uh, diatonic, you know, beautiful melodies. So, um, you know, it informs how you relate to harmony. And also it has cultural relevance because a lot of times people know these songs. And so it's a way of bringing them into your creative process as an improviser um it's part of our language it's part of how we communicate to each other as musicians so knowing a lot of songs is very important to me because I want to be able to play with a variety of people mm -hmm. and um sometimes we have these highly prepared projects like you know the ones I'm describing where there you know there's a uh an intense compositional or arrangement element but sometimes we just call tunes and that's the um mm -hmm. that's the essence of jazz is is just sitting together and and playing a song that we all know and, and playing it together. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's going to always be a part of my life. I love it. It's not a um, commercial sellout for me. I take it very seriously. Um, you know, a lot of the people who have mentored me, Freddie knew more tunes than you could possibly imagine. Oh, yeah. He knew everything. I remember one tour. Um, I used to raid his basement for... Um, cds before we did a long like driving tour in the south you know sometimes we would fly into atlanta first where he lived and we'd you know be in a van for a month or something i brought um 
Nat King Cole complete, you know, capital recordings with us with 16 discs. And I listened to all of them. And Freddie would say the words before Nat sang them on every single song. Oh, wow. He knew every single song. This is not like a casual commitment, you know, thorough, uh, thorough embrace of the idiom and the style. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I don't know. Mm-hmm. Standards are important. I can't really play with anybody that doesn't, doesn't know and care about some standards for me sure. anyway. I just, it doesn't work for me. I, I want to be, be able to call it a tune, you know, and yeah. play it. And be able to play it. I mean, yeah, yeah that's the essence. I mean, that's, you, you know, you have to know, you have to know the the vocabulary and the repertoire, you know, right. like just like in any language, you know, and there's some people That's who right. have very limited vocabulary and right. they, they can still express themselves, but then there's people who have a more uh, uh, elegant and nuanced vocabulary and they can express themselves in a, in a, in a different way. I do want to share with you, however, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing a singer uh, out of New York and I, I asked her that question and she said, well, for me, it's sort of like when you go shopping and you're trying on clothes mm. and he says, and you put on a dress and it fits and it just feels so right. She says, that's yeah. how I know which standards I like to sing. It's got to just feel and, you know, and just be something that, that just fits and works real well for me. And I thought, well, that's a good answer because uh, there are, there's, there's so, and you know, and she turned me on to a standard that I was unfamiliar with. I had never heard of the song before. It came out of the 1950s, and it's just a, it's just a charming little love love song. It's entitled "Sweet Pumpkin." I know "Sweet Pumpkin" very well. well Do you know something? Yep, I'm I love, love it with you. Yep, yep, yep. Be a sweet pumpkin, say you love me, me too. too. Yep. Freddie used to sing that. I taught it to my daughter, actually. She sings uh-huh. it. Yeah. I love well, Sweet Pumpkin. That's why Ron L. Bright, he was, um, mm-hmm. you know, the one of the ultimate pianist uh, accompanists for singers. You know, he played with yeah. Gloria Lynn and Nancy Wilson and Sarah Vaughn. And um, so I think I think Gloria introduced that tune, but that's that's his composition. So it's mm-hmm. written by a jazz musician, and it's got a a, a beautiful um, relationship between the melody and the harmony, and mm-hmm. the words are just so cute and great, you know. Yeah, well, she. But yeah, this I, is what I'm talking about. We got to know all this stuff. Yeah, I've been but, lucky. I played with the you know the some of the greatest singers of all time, and I I take take those gigs really seriously. And I follow up, I learn the songs, I learn the words, I learn the melodies. Um, I mean, I, you know, not to be like melodramatic, but I talked to Freddie the day before he died and I promised him I would keep these tunes going, you know. Sure, sure, sure. That sure. I know you will. Like it's it's very, very personally important to me. Sure it is. Well, I mean, you know, when you work with someone of that stature and, and there is, I mean, how, how could you not develop a strong commitment to the music? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I play every Tuesday night uh, for tips, basically, at a little watering hole here in Waukesha, uh, just because I believe in trying to have jazz on a regular basis and That's i don't right. care i don't care about making money of course i can say that i'm retired right but, uh but nonetheless i have a commitment to the to the yeah. music and and want to keep it keep it going but 
That's right. But uh, yeah, Sweet Pumpkin was a lot of fun. Last week, my wife and I did a show for Halloween since Halloween was Tuesday night and we kind of stretched a little bit. I says, well, this isn't something about Halloween, but it does have the word pumpkin in it. So we can do it. So we had fun. We had fun doing it. Um, Well, uh, Randy, let's talk about your live performing. Where are you going to be? Are you going to be uh, playing anywhere in the next few weeks? Or where, 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 if I were to come to Lansing or the, uh, or to Michigan, uh, if I could just hop on the ferry. I have a I have a weekly thing on Sunday nights that I um uh-huh. use to keep going. I my traveling is intermittent now, you know, for maybe the time from when I was 22 to 37 I was on the road 30 to 40 weeks out of the year. Um, you know, I have two kids now and I'm teaching, so I it's a balancing act. I'm still out there. I was actually traveling quite a lot this last month in October. I was on the road every weekend. Um, so I'm retrenching right now. I'm, 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 I'm home and, um, trying to guard the front here. So I, I don't know. I have some concerts at school and, uh, mm-hmm. and my regular Sunday night at, at a distillery called Red Cedar Spirits, which is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not traveling actually for the rest of the year, so I'm I'm here in Michigan, you know, mm-hmm. playing in Ann Arbor, playing in Detroit, little stuff, but practice, yeah. practicing. When well, I was gone a lot this summer, and you know, I think part of uh, my personal practice of acceptance in life is saying, okay, what phase am I in? So when I'm traveling a lot, I'm really not practicing that much because you're sure, sure. you're on planes and you're driving and. And when I'm home, I might not be performing that much, but then I say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to be studying. I'm going to be practicing. So trying to keep it all going. Well, I always, Um, uh, I like to tell people that I, I really loved having a a career in academia uh, because it did give me the opportunity to, to continue to do some playing, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you get teaching, uh, 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 you know, is uh, a full-time job and it, and it keeps you busy. And I'm well, passionate anyway. about it too. I don't want to, um, you know, I mean, they expect us to travel some and it's important for the prestige mm-hmm. of the university and, sure. and, you know, I want to do it and I don't want to um, lose my ability because I'm not going to be yeah. inspiring my, my students. But with all that said, like, um, this is my, this is my top priority right now. And, and, sure. uh, I love it. Actually. I love it. I love yep. my students. I love teaching. Yeah. Uh, I miss them when I'm gone. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, something is always out of balance. I always wish I was doing something more, but I sure. think the grand balance in my life is pretty good. So, yeah, well, I'm right there with you. And that's what I loved about my career in academia and what I like about the way I've structured my retirement, because I knew when I retired, I wanted to play as much as I could. And I'm certainly trying to do that. Well, Randy, I want to take uh, to <laughs> thank you. I knew I could say it. Thank you for taking time to talk with me today. And uh, knowing that you're a busy guy and I've got classes to teach and students to deal with. And, and so I, th- I appreciate you taking time out of your day and I want to wish you all the best with what Thank I'm you. sure is going to be a continued successful musical and, future. And the, the same back to you. You're, you're a soulful and intelligent guy and I'm happy to meet you and really appreciate you taking this time to, uh, 
Uh, you know, let me tell my my personal story. Thank you. Well, you never know. I might just hop on the ferry, cry, come across Lake Michigan and surprise you someday. So any anytime. There you anytime. go, Randy. All yeah. right. Well, you take care and have a good rest of your day. All right. Thank All you right. so much. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. My discovery composer of the week is the Renaissance Flemish composer Antoine Goswin. Born in 1546, he died in 1597. A letter to the base Bartholomaeus Vandenfeldt from the Elector of Saxony confirms Goswin's Netherlandish origin. His association with Lassus must stem from the early years. He could have encountered the Bavarian chapel as a choir boy. Lassus was there from 1556. He is first mentioned in the court accounts as an alto in 1558. The Munich tax rate books show that in 1564, a certain Antonius Juswein lived there and married a Maria Praum late in 1566 or early in 1567. In 1568, he held the rights of a Munich citizen, and in 1569 was appointed a member of the chapel of Prince Wilhelm of Bavaria, and in 1570 was in the Munich chapel. In 1571, he received financial assistance in order to visit his fatherland. In 1574, he was honored by a letter from the emperor investing him with a coat of arms. In the same year, he dedicated two masses to the emperor, for which he received 30 florins. He journeyed to Vienna to present these masses personally and remained there until early in 1575. In 1576, and again in 1582, he received 30 florins each uh, time for one mass, and in 1594 he received 70 florins for unspecified services. On the strength of a letter of recommendation of July 17, 1576, which Lassus had requested for him from Prince Wilhelm, Gosvin went to the Imperial Diet at Regensburg, Returning to Munich, he was appointed organist at the Peterkirk, and in 1577 was reimbursed for the maintenance of nine choir boys for whom he was responsible. Upon the death of Duke Albrecht on October 24, 1579, the size of the Bavarian establishment was reduced and Goswin was dismissed. He soon became a member of the chapel of Prince Ernst, a son of Albrecht, and a bishop in Freising. The appointment was for life, as Lassus confirmed in a letter to Wilhelm in February of 1580. Early in 1580, Goswin moved to Freising with his wife. His first publication, the Neue Deutsch Lieder, dedicated to Bishop Ernst, dates from this year. The bishop was in Lege only a few years since he held a benefice in the Diocese of Cologne. He moved to Bonn on January 29, 
1584. Half of Gosselin's salary was being paid to his wife, who was still in Freising at the time. On July 14, 1594, Gosselin again attended the Diet of Regensburg, directing the musicians of the Prince Bishop Ernst. The account books of the Bavarian Chapel for 1594 refer to his wife as a widow. Yet, in the Fugger Journal of June 10th of 1595, he is reported as still alive. In his general survey of the Lege Chamber accounts, Quitten stated that Goswin was alive on June 2nd, 1597, and that his death must have taken place between this date and October 28th, 1598. According to his contemporaries, Goswin was not only a distinguished musician, whose masses were often sung in the Bavarian chapel, but was also famed for his singing in which he embellished the vocal line. He was further known for his wide-ranging scholarship. His works reveal Lassus's influence so profoundly that Herzl characterized Goswin as a Wiebliker Lasso. Almost all his masses are parodies of polyphonic works by Lassus. It has been argued that the Neue Teutsch Lieder are only simplified adaptations for three voices of Lassus's Neue Teutsch Liedlein mit fünf Stimmen of 1567. Osthoff, in a more balanced view, however, saw in them a characteristic application of the parody procedure, one that left room for much individuality. The pieces for small forces give the impression that Goswin wrote pretty and agreeable music. The six-part motet, Ad te leva, lev, levavi, however, shows that he had the ability to write on a large scale using homorhythmic style and syllabic declamation. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube performance of Goswin's Iolo Crudel com Turbasti Londe, performed by Le Mirror de Musique, directed by Baptiste Romain. That wraps episode number 168. My show notes, along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, will be posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing Doug Albrecht of the band Little Falls Trophy. We will talk about the band's latest album, Dutch Motel. Other upcoming interviews include jazz drummer extraordinaire Billy Kilson, poet and country singer-songwriter Julian Brolowski, Ottawa-based Americana singer-songwriter Mikhail Laxton, and Americana folk singer-songwriter Caroline Cotter. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at h-u-r-s-t-c at u-w-m 
www.ccc.edu. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from the musical universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.